There are times, I think, when we get in Scripture, there are messages that are, are fun to talk about. Um, last week, we talked about friends. That's kind of a fun topic to talk about. Um, we talk about Christ's love, to me, as a fun topic to talk about. But then there's moments when you get into Scripture that become difficult to talk about and things that um, uh, you, you sometimes want to maybe shy away from, walk away from, and, and maybe skip over. I, I know I mentioned this a lot, but I, I really want you guys to understand the reason why we do expository teaching, the reason why we go verse by verse through the Bible, through a book, is so when these things occur, we have to tackle them. We have to go through them. We, we just we discuss them, and we don't pretend like this doesn't happen. And today's subject, I think, is one of those deals, one of those subjects where um, we don't want to talk about. It's one of these subjects that when we leave church today, we may not have this warm, fuzzy feeling. Um, and so if you have your Bibles, please open to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We're going to read this scripture, and then we're going to pray that God... Um, works in us this morning. So John chapter 15, we're going to read, um, starting in verse 18, and we're going to read through um, John chapter 16, verse 4. So John 15, uh, starting in verse 18, says this, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. Remember that the world, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute, persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of the sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me, hates me, hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Verse 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been because you have been with me from the beginning. And then John sixteen verse one says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I have told you, told them to you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you this morning for um, what's been a great worship service already. I thank you for the songs that we have sung. Uh, the offering of worship to you. As Josh prayed, Lord, I thank you that we do have the freedom to come before you and 
in our country and that we can freely open up our Bibles and we can freely read it and we can pray, we can gather in groups without fear. Although, Lord, we live in a world where that's not a freedom that many enjoy. And so this morning, right now, I, I do pray for those who are in areas where they fall under intense, heavy persecution for a belief in you. Lord, I pray that you continue to give them the strength to persevere. Lord, this morning, I pray that as we look at this subject, that you grant me um, great grace in your eyes. I pray that you allow me for the next few moments to speak your words. I pray that everything that I say is within the context of what this scripture means. I pray that we stay true to your word. Lord, I pray that your word is glorified, not mine. I pray that your word changes hearts, not mine. But I pray this morning, God, that you give me boldness and us as a church discernment. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. I I think it's for obvious reasons as we read this text Again, to put this within the context of what's going on in John chapter 15, Jesus is merely hours now from being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay? This, is, this is about to all go down. John chapter 13 begins this upper room discourse. So, so remember, if we go back to John 13, remember when Jesus washes the feet of the disciples in this tremendous act of humility. Right, and then we have these lessons that, that he goes on and he will teach them. And, and he, we remember him dipping the bread into the, 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 um, the sop, the oil, whatever it was, and offering it to Judas. This one last attempt to, to, to get Judas to, to turn away and not betray him. And then Judas rejects that. Judas takes it and then Jesus turns to him and says, okay, go. Do your business. Be about your business. Go. And then after Jesus leaves, then Jesus really takes those 11. And it's, just, it's like they're, they're, they're big last hurrah together. I mean, they're going to have some intense moments where Jesus is just going to pour into the lives of these 11 men who have followed him for three and a half years now. These are, these are men that have given up everything to follow Jesus. I mean, they've given up businesses. They've given up relationships. Uh, There's separation from their family. I mean, they've given up everything to follow this man. And as they've done that, a lot has gone on. They don't comprehend. They have no idea what's happening. And Jesus says many occasions had told them that he was going to die. They had no idea what he meant. It was always above their head. Finally, Jesus tells them, guys, the hour's coming. The time has come. And to a certain extent, it clicks. Like this time, like Jesus had gone from the triumphal entry where the crowds are shouting Hosanna and they're throwing a parade for him to being like on the FBI's most wanted list. He's being hunted down. And so they understand, look, maybe this is a real possibility. In John chapter 15, in the beginning, Jesus talks about um, the vine and the branches. And there's this, this description of the believer in Jesus, in God, and how we as the believers are the branches connected to the vine. So all the fruit that we bear comes directly from the vine. All, all, the way that we 
can live our Christian walks, the way that we can persevere, the way that we can do things, the way that we grow is because of our connection to the vine. As soon as we're disconnected to the, from the vine, the branch withers, has no value. Right? I mean, you chop off a branch of an apple tree, it's probably not going to grow any more apples, right? It's the same way when it comes to us as Christians. When you disconnect yourself from the vine, there's no fruit. In our own Christian walks, if you're like me, there have been times, there have been seasons in your life where you've gotten away from the Bible. You've gotten away from your prayer walk. And as you look at those times and those seasons of your life, you can see there is no fruit. There is very little fruit. There's a lot of frustration. Same thing. So Jesus is talking to his disciples, John chapter 15. Guys, stay connected to me and my father. That's where the nourishment is going to come from. That's where the substance is going to come from. Stay connected to the vine. And then starting in John chapter or in verse 12 of John chapter 15 through verse 17, there's this encouragement, this prodding of Jesus to love one another, to, to, to create this friendship and this um, binding together of believer to believer, a relationship of love. See, Jesus knew that he was going to be leaving. He knew the world of the disciples was going to be turned upside down. He knew that they needed to have somebody and people around them for the encouragement. Last week, I encouraged us as a faith family. That's why church is so important. In the world that we live in, it's important that we have the ability to come together, gather together, Builds friendships together. Women, this Bible study coming up tonight, starting tonight, I I would beg you to give it a try. To commit to it, to try it out. Go for a few weeks. Like, you need those friendships in your life. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a professional who travels five out of the seven days a week or whatever it is you do, you need that time together with other women to grow. You need to establish those friendships. Men, in this church, like every other church in most of society, we typically are lone rangers. We can do it on our own. We don't need Tonto. But the fact is, we do. I mean, look at Jesus. Did he not surround himself with 12 men? We need those people in our lives. I, I, I shared with you last week, we had a couple of our college kids that were back for the weekend. Um, Sarah Lane was a youth in a youth group that I was a youth pastor of. And I remember she graduated her class and we had that graduating class before they left for school to, to, to say a few words to the rest of the high school and middle school groups. Just kind of give a few pointers, a few whatever. And she turned to the group and she, the, the words echoed in my ears to this day. And she told the youth that morning, let your church friends be your best friends. Let your church friends be your best friends. Right? I mean, you, you youth in school, like 
lots of kids. There's lots of people. You have a lot of choices when it comes to friends. Adults were the same way. Like we have all sorts of opportunity to pick and choose who our friends are. I would beg you to make sure the people that you put in heavy influence in your life, the ones that you're going to turn to in times of need, are those who are Christians, believers, who are seeking God. It's important. And so, so we had this, the beginning of John chapter 15, the vine and the branches stay connected to God. Then, then Jesus trans, transfers over to, okay guys, listen, I'm leaving, you need friends in your life. Make good choices, grab good friends, and be a good friend. And then we get to the end of this chapter, and all the, the vine, the branches, the good friends, leads up to the reason why we need the vine. Leads up to the reason why we need good friends. And that's the persecution. Verses uh, 18 through 19. Um, we see that Jesus identifies who the enemy of God's kingdom is. He uses the word world. It's interesting. I've said this before in the gospel of John. John kind of shifts the meaning of world throughout the gospel. The very beginning in John chapter 1, when he talks about world, he's talking about the literal planet world, creation. We, we also see in the first, up till verse, up till chapter 10, when he refers to the world, he refers to all of humanity. Okay, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That's all of humanity. That's everyone living and breathing. That's all humans. That's the world. But in John chapter 10, remember we talked about the good shepherd? John begins to narrow what the world means. He uses that idea of being a shepherd and he says, when I call my own, they know my voice. They respond. That's my own. And so we see this division starting in John chapter 10. And we get to this portion here in John chapter 15. Now it goes from little separate camps to warring enemies. This world here are those who do not believe in God. Go back to Genesis chapter 3, 15 through 19, the fall of man, when Adam and Eve sin. The world system breaks. What God had built is broken. Sin enters the world. And so here we see in John chapter 15, now Jesus is saying, this is Jesus speaking, he's saying, guys, the world, not the literal planet earth, hates him. Not all of humanity hates him, but those who do not believe in him hate him. So we have two families going. It's like the Hatfields and McCoys. Can't stand each other. Jesus and his family and Satan and his family. And Jesus goes on and says, listen, the world hates me. Well, well, why does the world hate you? And Jesus talks, I I came, all the works that I did, the things that I've spoken, I've given them no more excuse. There's no more excuse. The line is drawn. They either accept or reject 
And the result of those, the result of the world, is it either loves you or hates you. For us today, in the world that we live in, in the, in the city that we live in, it doesn't always fully connect with us. It's not like I'm walking down the street and somebody just starts screaming at me because I'm a, cre- I'm, I'm a preacher. It doesn't always work that way. And so sometimes when we get to this idea of persecution, it's hard for the wires in our minds to connect. It's hard for us to really understand what's going on. You know what's interesting? Um, I, I pulled some notes this week about persecution. And what's interesting to me, if you guys think about this, we see persecution going all the way back to Genesis. All the way back to Cain and Abel. If we think about this, right? Cain and Abel. What did Cain do? Help me out here. Speak out loud. What did Cain do? He killed Abel. Why did he kill Abel? He was jealous because what was, what was Abel doing? Worshiping who? He was worshiping God, wasn't he? So we see persecution all the way back to Cain and Abel. Abel's worshiping God. He, he's not flaunting it in the face of Cain. He's just doing what God told him to do. And Cain's not, right? Jealousy all comes because Cain's hating what Abel's doing. And all Abel's doing is worshiping God. When we think of, in the scriptures, we get into Acts, which are probably not necessarily, not for certain, but more than likely when we're done with, with John, we'll, we'll go to Acts. And we'll see this in, in some of this, but Stephen, I think many of us know the story of Stephen. Stephen, the first martyr after Jesus, is stoned. You know what's amazing? And, and most of you know this. When you look at the disciples, every single one except for John was martyred. James, um, the brother of John, was beheaded. Philip, crucified, AD 54. Matthew was beheaded as well. James, who wrote the book James, the half-brother of Jesus, was thrown from atop of the temple. And that wasn't enough to kill him, so they took clubs and they beat him until he was dead. Matthias, who replaced Judas Iscariot, was stoned and then beheaded. Andrew, who was Peter's brother, was crucified. Peter, the one who denied Christ three times, the one who walked on water and took his eyes off of Christ and began to sink. Peter was crucified. Tradition tells us that when it came time to that, he didn't find himself worthy to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus, so he requested to be turned upside down. Paul, the Apostle Paul, the one who went and killed Christians for a living before his conversion was beheaded. Judas, also called Thaddeus, not Iscariot, was crucified in AD 72. Luke, tradition tells us, hanged from an olive tree in Greece. Doubting Thomas was killed by a spear. 
And John, the one, the one disciple who, who did not die in martyrdom. It wasn't for a lack of trying. Because he was arrested on several occasions. He was sent off to the Isle of Patmos, which was not a resort. They even threw him in boiling oil. And somehow he survived. That's, these are the guys that followed Jesus. How would this happen? This is the same group of guys that when they came to arrest Jesus, they all ran. This is the same group that while Jesus is, is, is up for trial, they're hiding. This is the same group that after Jesus dies, they're away, worried, not knowing what's going to happen. Don't believe that he's going to come back to life. How, did, how, what, how does this happen? How do they change? How do they get from that point, from running to ultimately dying in similar fashion? The very end of John chapter 15 gives us a clue. Verse 26 says, but when the helper comes, if you notice that in your scripture, in your Bibles, helpers capitalized. That helper there is the Holy Spirit. A gift that Jesus tells him, tells the disciples, I'm going away, but something better is going to come is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what indwells within them. And once the Holy Spirit dwells within those disciples, within those Christians, it gives them this supernatural strength to go through and do these things. I think sometimes, though, we think of this idea of the disciples and we're like well yeah but those were guys that just followed jesus it kind of makes a little bit of sense because they got rid of jesus so they're gonna get rid of his gang that followed him you guys persecution didn't just end once the 12 disciples or 11 disciples were martyred you go through history there were 10 waves of persecution placed upon the church nero A.D. 67 starts the first wave. And kids, I'm sorry about this, but this is a grotesque persecution. Like Nero hated the Christians so much that he burnt down Rome. Tradition tells us as this city is burning for 19 days, he's playing his harp. And when it's done, he blames the Christians for it. Turns the city against the Christians. Nero was so twisted, so twisted that he would take Christians. He would sew them up into animal skins and then unleash wild beasts on these Christians. And they would be eaten alive. He was so twisted, so twisted that they would put these Christians in these stiff wax-like shirts hang them from posts in his garden and light them on fire and use them as candles. That's intense, isn't it? That was the first of what would be 10 waves of persecution that would go through the mid-300s. Under Emperor Trajan, there was a man by the name of Ignatius one of the early church fathers. He was arrested for his faith and uh, was going to be 
ultimately was going to be eaten by wild beasts. Before he was put to death, he sent a letter to the church of Rome urging them not to interfere, urging them not to get involved, urging them not to come to help him. And he made this statement. He says, I'm the wheat of Christ. I'm going to be ground with the teeth of wild beasts that I may be found pure bread. But persecution didn't just end in the 300s. You can fast forward in the 1200s during the Spanish Inquisition, over 32,000 non-Catholics were killed. In the 1300s, John Wycliffe, who was working on translating the Bible, was arrested and tried as a heretic. Ultimately, he gets out of prison. He dies of old age, natural causes. 40 years after he dies, just to show you how mad and upset They were. Forty years after he dies, they dig up his grave. They burn his body. Throw all the ashes into a river, hoping to get rid of his memory. John Huss, which was one of his followers, was arrested. Arrested for preaching the gospel. Telling others about God. Arrested for speaking the truth. Was burned at the stake. As they were putting the shackles around his wrist and clapping it down. He was smiling. And he told them, these shackles, these rusty old shackles, compare nothing to the shackles of my Savior. And tradition tells us as as he was burning at the stake, he was singing hymns. It's amazing. Sixteen forty one in Ireland, there's a massacre of Protestants. Over one hundred and fifty thousand were massacred and killed because they claimed to follow Christ. We can draw upon somewhat more recent history. And so often when we think of World War II, we think of Hitler, we think of the Holocaust. Awful, awful things. I shared with you, I think it was last week, the week before, as an 18-year-old having the opportunity to go to Auschwitz. uh, The most tragic Thing I've ever done. I mean, I, I can tell you guys the moment I stepped foot in that concentration camp, I could just feel evil. I don't know if anybody else has had the opportunity of going to a concentration camp, but it is just evil. You can, you can feel the presence of Satan. But you guys realize that Stalin, Lenin, Hitler, Mao Zedong, all these dictators in that time period, they didn't just target Jews. Millions upon millions of Christians were killed. They estimate, there's a website called persecution.org. I would encourage you to check it out. They estimate that in 2000, in the 2000, basically 2000 years since Christ, 
70 million Christians have been persecuted. 70 million Christians have been persecuted in 2,000 years. Tremendous amount of people. That's 2,000 years. Of that 70 million, approximately 65% have been killed in the last 100 years. That's over 45 million people, Christians. See, persecution's real. It's scary. The reality is this, folks. I think one of the reasons why I struggled this week thinking about this subject is it's not as far off our radar as it used to be. No, we're not necessarily openly being persecuted where we are today. But for those of us who are adults, especially those of us who might have a little bit of salt and pepper on our beard and hair, we realize that our country is not the same country it was that we grew up in. We've seen a lot of changes take place. I read just, I think it was yesterday, the day before. There's a group called InterVarsity. It's a Christian group, organization that goes out of college campuses. There's a chapter here in, at FSU. Similar to like a Campus Crusade, FCA type thing. It's been taken off of all the California campuses this week. It's been removed. The reason behind it was they didn't think it was right that the leadership had to abide by Christian principles. Now, folks, there's all sorts of other organizations that they're allowing to meet. They're they're granting all sorts of groups the platform. Our country is all about free speech, isn't it? Like we watch the news, we, it is pushed in our face. Free speech, free speech, free speech, free speech, unless you're going to speak about Jesus. And then once we begin to speak about Jesus, we're told we're intolerant. Now listen, Californians say if you're a Christian, you can't come to our college. They, they didn't take all the leaders of InterVarsity into the courtyards and begin to kill them. They didn't do that. But what I'm saying, folks, is Jesus made a promise to the disciples in the Bible. In that garden. And he said, guys, the world hates me. They're going to see, the disciples will see that played out. They're going to see Jesus go through this mock trial. They're going to see the people spit at him. They're going to see the people make fun of him. They're going to see the people mock him. They're going to see the tremendous pain that Jesus goes through. They're going to see that. And Jesus goes, listen, if they do that to me, they're going to do the same to you. Folks, as I said, um, the warm, fuzzy feeling isn't you guys leaving church saying, wow, persecution's coming. Awesome. Can't wait. 
It's not one of those things we give each other high fives afterwards. This is great. Good news. Thanks for that good word, Pastor Chad. But the reality is, there's going to be persecution in our lives. Jesus said it would. If you believe in him, if you follow, if you truly believe in him, you truly follow him, there will be persecution. It's going to come in various degrees. We're not all going to get burned at a stake. I'm not saying that. Don't leave this thing and let's sign up for this. It's going to be awesome. But I'm also want to be honest with you and tell you that if we truly believe in Jesus, I mean, we truly, truly, honestly, with all sincerity, believe in him. And we're truly going to follow him and do as he's commanded. We're going to tell people about him. There will be persecution in your life. It's going to happen. If there's not been any persecution in your life, you ought to probably look in the mirror. Because we're probably not telling enough people about Jesus. Persecution more than likely is going to be a little bit more than a few taunts here or there. So how do we deal with it? What what do we do? How do we get through that? How do we have the strength to go through persecution? Whatever that ends up being. God gave us the Holy Spirit, folks. That helper that he gave the disciples. He's given to us. There's no other way to explain it. Fuller did a youth lesson for... Uh, no, Fuller and Mary Carlton. Both did youth lessons for us a while back. And, they, and Mary Carlton, I think, did it first. She shared the story of Columbine. Now, for these kids, like I don't even think it happened when you were alive yet. The rest of us can remember that very, very clearly. A young girl. How would she have the courage to make a choice like that? The only way to explain it is the Holy Spirit living within her. The Holy Spirit gives us the strength to make supernatural decisions and choices. The Holy Spirit allows us to stay connected to the vine. That's the only way. I want to give us a few pointers, though. Because unfortunately, I think um, when it comes to our faith, we have a few, um, a few things that we need to tackle. One, we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. Verse 26 of John says that. The, the following verse, as believers, if we truly, if we truly are going to follow Christ then we need to, it says there, bear witness. We, we, we need to proclaim truth. We need to be truthful. And not just be truthful, but we need to be firm in our truth. We need to be willing to take stands. Folks, um, 
to remain quiet and silent. I think over the last few years, um, as a parent, I think it's changed my view a bit. Before kids, whatever, it it affects me, whatever. But now as a child, I think of our country, I don't always think of it in terms of how is it going to affect Chad anymore. I think of what are we going to leave for our kids? What are we going to leave for our grandkids? Folks, I'm, it, it's, the, the time has come as believers. Like our country is rapidly changing. I'm not getting into, this is not a political statement. This is not about whether you're a Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever. I could care less what you are. But, but folks, um, we've already lost battles. Like the biblical definition of marriage but the definition our country is founded on is gone. It's, it's that, that ship has sailed, folks. Um, when I was when I was a youngin, I remember when I was in middle school, many many moons ago. Like we would do the whole drug alcohol thing. Yeah. Back then it was like marijuana is illegal. It was a drug. It's a gateway drug. It leads to other things. Folks, I mean, I don't know if you guys realize this, but it's like legal in half the United States now for medicinal purposes. And that won't be for very long. And so apparently now it went from being a gateway drug to just something that helps with glaucoma. Do you guys understand? You guys see we are taking definite steps not in the right direction. Jesus is not held in high esteem anymore. Turn the TV on. It doesn't take long to figure that one out. At best, we hear his name as a curse word. We're on a slippery slope, guys. For us to remain silent does not just us wrong, our children, our grandchildren wrong. We need to be willing to stand firm and stand for truth. Verse 1 of chapter 16 um, And Jesus says, I've said these things, all these things, to keep you from falling away. In our own walks, our own personal walks, we need to strive for being ensnared in sin. Like, none of us are perfect. None of us will ever be perfect this side of heaven. But we ought to strive for perfection. We ought to strive to grow closer to Him. And then verse 4 of John chapter 16 says, But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember 
but I told them to you. Jesus is reminding the disciples that persecution and the rise of evil are inevitable. We read Revelation, we understand that there comes a point where evil becomes almost unimaginable, so strong, so powerful, yet so accepted. Let me, on a practical point here, let me try and make three points practically and, um, and then try and find a warm, fuzzy feeling for us. Because this is where I think sometimes we get in trouble. One is this. There's a great difference between picking a fight and enduring persecution. When I was in college... Um, I remember there was this group. I have no idea what the name of this group was, but they were religious people. And they would stand like at street corners or like outside bars and stuff like that. And they would just scream bloody murder. They would like be quoting Bible verses. They'd be shouting at people, telling them they were going, as they would walk into the bar, they'd be screaming, telling them they're going to hell. I mean, just screaming at them. Like, I'm pretty sure... Like, that's not the way to win, right? I mean, I'm pretty, I don't know that for a fact. I've not done a whole lot of research on it, but I feel pretty confident saying that's not a, probably a very good tactic to try and get somebody to change. Like, for us, with our church, I touched on briefly about marriage. Um... We live in a culture today where divorce runs rampant. Very, very acceptable within our society. We live in a society where um, marriage is no longer considered marriage just between a man and a woman. Like we can sit and start yelling and hollering those things. We need to stand up for truth. But just pointing at somebody else and they're wrong and not trying to help what's right. It's like the houses that the three little piggies made. They're not going to stand very strong, are they? One of the things that, that I believe very strongly in as we begin to get into our new facility is for us on a regular basis, I don't know if it's annually, biannually, what, but, but we're going to put some extreme emphasis on marriages, marriage enrichment, helping us, not you, us. Lord knows, Courtney, I need as much help as you guys do, probably more. To build stronger marriages, helping the community around us to realize that there's hope. I remember um, years ago, some of you guys had the same Sunday school teacher I had. There was a man named Richard Orr. Um, Richard was a retired cop. Like, and he fit that mold to a T. I mean, he just was grumpy. 
Like, I mean, he, he got on, like, our Sunday, I, Gavin, you, I know you remember this. Like, he got in the group one day for guys wearing jeans to church. I mean, it was serious for him. He was the real deal Holyfield. I mean, he was, boom. But I remember he was, he was talking about what, and it's been interesting. Over the years, there's always been these kind of waves of topics. Back in the 80s and 90s, um, abortion was a big deal. And it should be sanctity of life. We should protect it. We should stand for that, but but back in that time frame, it was big. You guys remember like all the protests going on? I mean, and then we had we had like Christians that were like bombing cl- clinics. Like again, that's that's worse than the guys shouting. But I remember Richard telling me that that he was downtown. They had these protests going on, you know, right to life and well, all that kind of stuff. Pro life, pro choice on both sides. And, and he said you could close your eyes. All you heard was screaming. You, could t- you couldn't tell who was who. Folks, God called us to stand firm. God called us to declare the truth. God called us to de- declare the truth boldly. But we ought to look different than the world. I mean, God didn't call us to be carbon copies of them, just use Christian curse words instead of the real curse words. That's not what he called us to do. And unfortunately, we, we have guys, this bonehead church group that was going and protesting funerals of soldiers. We need to be careful and understand there's a difference between picking a fight and enduring persecution. Let's not go out and pick stupid fights. If you do... Don't wear your Redemption Hill t-shirt, okay? <laughs> Please. <laughs> um, second, um, there's a, a great difference between loving the world and becoming part of it. Um, our mission statement for our church is we exist to see souls saved and lives changed. The only way, the only way that we can see people come to know Christ is if we love them. Nobody's going to want to come to a church as they walk in the doors. We all look and stare and point. We need to love those people who don't know Christ. Like a genuine love concern. Like you, all of us, all of us within our reach at home, our sphere of influence, we have people who do not know Christ. I know we all do. We need to genuinely love them. If we genuinely love them, have concern for them, it's more than just maybe offending them a little bit or putting them in a rough position a little bit. We need to sincerely share Jesus Christ with them. Whether that's bringing them to church, whether that's sitting down with them, going to have a cup of coffee, whatever it is, whatever God allows you to do, we need to take advantage of that. But we don't do as they do. The Bible tells us that we're to love them, but not be part of them. We don't belly up to the bar and do shot for shot with them out of love and share Christ with them, thinking that's going to open up their eyes.
We love them. We love them. We pray for them. We help them. We're there for them. We go the extra mile for them. But we have to understand, we're not part of them. They're on the other team right now. We're trying to get them out of our team. But we don't go jump on the other team for a while with the idea of coming back. It doesn't work that way. And then the final thing is this. There's a great difference between living in fear and exercising caution. God didn't call us to just be scared people living in fear. Yes, we should use caution. I don't think we should run requesting persecution. We use caution. We don't live in fear, though. Hold on to this thought, folks. If persecution comes, beyond just the taunting and the teasing, we've had a tremendous luxury, I believe, in our history. The United States was founded upon Christian principles. I'm not saying every founding father was a Bible-believing born-again believer. But the Bible is all throughout our founding documents. We've had a long, rich history and heritage of godliness. And we've seen God's blessings. And my belief right now is we're living on the blessings of the past. Honestly, I will tell you this. I don't think the United States of America is a Christian nation anymore. The honest truth is I don't think we're a post-Christian nation I think we've kind of gone to the fact that we're a pre-Christian nation. But here's what's cool. If persecution ever comes our way, if it's ever that intense of the stories that we read about, if it's ever as intense as what we hear about that's happening in China or these other countries, I want you guys to understand this. Know this. The world that Jesus is talking about here, right now, on earth right now, this is the closest to heaven they'll ever get. This is the closest that they'll ever get to heaven. And guys, right now, the world that we're living in, for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, for everyone who's accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, understand this, this is as close to hell as you'll ever get. As close as hell as we'll ever get, whatever, whatever they throw at us, whatever persecution we may ever go through, whatever teasing we may get, whatever slap in the face we may get, whatever loss of job we may incur, whatever life we may lose, this is as close to hell as we'll ever get. And the last breath we take here is the first breath we take in heaven with our Savior who endured a persecution like we will never endure. And so hold tight to the, to the fact that Jesus is telling you straight up, it's going to happen. Because if you love me, if you followed me, they're going to do the same to you that they did to me. But I'm giving you the helper. The Holy Spirit's coming. He's going to give you the strength. He's going to help you through this. And when one day, one day, you'll be with me in heaven. And so, folks, 
if persecution comes. Let me rephrase that. When persecution comes. Hold tight to the fact. The Holy Spirit is within you. Rely on him. Rely on the Holy Spirit to give you the strength, to give you the words, to give you the wisdom, the discernment. Hold on to the Holy Spirit. Stand for truth. Don't be afraid to take stands. Don't be ashamed of your Savior. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. He wasn't ashamed of you when he hung on that cross. And understand, understand the most precious thought I think we can take from God's word today and this idea of persecution is our worst day, the absolute worst day we experience here on earth be the closest we ever get to hell. And it doesn't even scratch the dent on how bad it is down there. Worst they will ever have is as close to hell as we'll ever get. We have eternity in heaven. I don't know if that gets you excited. I don't know if that makes you full of joy. It's it's gonna be so awesome. And all those, all the persecution, all the evil in the world. We may think like it's winning. It may feel at times like it's winning. We may step back and think, man, evil is going to win. It's going to conquer. It's going to conquer our country. It's going to conquer this world. Folks, Jesus already conquered sin. Jesus already conquered. It's not going to win. It may feel like it. It may look like it. But the war is over. Turn to the end of Revelation. We win. Okay? We win. Jesus wins. Hold tight to that. Let's pray.